Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome everybody back to Swinging from the Hips, your place for everything cricket and your cricket fix. And welcome to my fellow presenters, Baker Extraordinaire, Rohit, over down there, and Taryn. Welcome back, guys. How you doing? Hey, good, thanks. Yeah, good. Hey. How'd that Beautiful. chocolate cake turn out, Rohit? It was a treat. And um, everyone enjoyed it, to be honest. <laughs> well, we're going to crack straight into it today because we've got a guest, special guest coming up a bit later. So um, why don't we get whack into it straight away there, Roy, and this week in history. Well, yes, this week in history, we have uh, back in May, 2nd of May, 1969, one Brian Charles Lara, yes, was born on this day with his high test score of 400 runs. Highest first-class score of 501 for Warwickshire. Amazing. Controversy. On the 3rd of May, 1978, with Australia poised to win the fifth test in Jamaica, the crowd rioted. (laughs) With one more wicket to fall, or required, shall we say, and 38 balls left, the crowd took the matter into their own hands, invading the field. So, game could have been completed the next day. However... Umpire Ralph Goosen refused to stand. So the Aussies missed out on a win there. How unfortunate. Historic moment. (laughs) Historic moment in the women's game. On the 5th of May, 2010, West Indies player, Deandra Dotton, she scored the first 100 in a women's T20 international match. Well done. She scored 100 of 38 balls against South Africa. That's some hitting, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's sort of like just to sort of go on that. It's just like it's not like it's just a um, a runnable hundred or anything. It's actually a, nice. it's at a decent strike rate as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you watch the women's game, it's the strike rate's not as high as that would have been. I, I feel. And finally, seventh of May, nineteen eighty, our very own Jason Patel was born in Wellington, New Zealand. Hang on, I thought um, there was like a real high. Um... Standard here for birthday. 
Oh no no family connections so he gets a mission. I'll jump in there. Jeton gets a mention because um my brother in law actually used to play with him in the backyard. Uh, and they grew up in Wellington together. Uh, so they broke a few windows at their both their parents' places. So I thought I'd chuck him in there and uh, give him a birthday shout out. So his birthday on the seventh of May. Oh, sweet, eh? <laughs> if you, if Jason's going to get a mention, I think you've got to mention Yasser Shah had a birthday two days ago as well. That dude's only got what? What was our prerequisite? Two hundred and two hundred odd Test wickets. I think he's got about two hundred and twenty odd in sure. thirty Test yeah. matches. Oh, that's okay. So Yasser Shah also a happy birthday out to him. And this is like always. <laughs> I enjoyed watching him. He's the, he was the bowler, but I enjoyed watching his bat as well. And he always had that grin on his face as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not <laughs> like me to know the stats of another leg spinner, but yeah. <laughs> or their birthday. Is, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that an opportunity to throw to your stats to just put out a few there? Uh, well, I actually know it's my birthday tomorrow, though. <laughs> oh, there we go. Hang on, hang on. We can't preempt any of the um, this week in history for next week. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's for next week now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Happy birthday, mate. So, look, um, I think that's pretty much us with the week in history for this week. And um, we'll and we know what's coming up next week. We know what's coming up next week is Taryn's birthday. You've got to be 200 plus run, uh, wickets to wickets. make the list. Yeah, but we did the international, though. <laughs> Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just seeing in the chat room, it's possibly um, Brian Charles Laras shares his birthday with um, Vladimir Putin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rohit, for that um, back-in-the-day um, news there. And um, we'll move into the modern times. And, Taryn, with the weekend, the news news this week. Yeah, news this week. Well, um, it's uh, making waves now with all the COVID stuff that's going on. It's the... Questions we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. How do you shine a ball without saliva or sweat? Well, Kookaburra, the ball manufacturer, have come up with the solution, possible solution. They're uh, proposing a wax applicator, uh, some sort of a sponge thing that I think you carry in your tram pockets if you're a normal cricketer. But if you're an Australian, you can throw it in your undies if someone's looking, um, like Kevin Backcroft did with that piece of string, supposedly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in all seriousness, they seem to think it's something that's viable and it's probably going to go ahead. Um, reality is, though, they haven't had a chance to try it because there have been no cricket games. Unless they can ship it out to Vanuatu, then they can see how they go <laughs> out there. So Kookaburra coming up with the Vax Applicator replica or a replacement for saliva and sweat. That's the big one. Obviously, um, Cricket Australia is... Um, possibly going to come into about 50-odd million dollars from a long-term partner in a few weeks' time, I believe. But obviously that's not gone down too well considering they've asked 80% of their staff to take a pay cut or be redundant. So that's not gone down well. On a financial front, Tom Harrison from CEO of ECB, they forecasted £380 million in losses. Big fears for women's cricket on that front with all that money being projected to be lost. Uh, female cricketers are worried they might be wearing the brunt of it. Um, 
first summer at Lords without any cricket in 233 years, and the cost of no play there has been 30 million pounds. On a playing field, uh, we discussed at length the Gale saga last week. He's obviously off to St. Lucia to join um, Darren Sammy. We've now got Ramden being released out of Trinidad and Tobago or Trinidad Night Riders, TKR. And he's off to St. Kitts and Nevis. Not a bad spot. Um, while Braithwaite, who's been skippering um, St. Kitts, has been released. No word of where he's going. St. Kitts will now be captained by Rayad Emrit, the 39-year-old fast bowler from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, yeah, that's... Um, and the other big one has been talk of Multan Sultans, the PSL franchise owners, and KKR, which also owns TKR in CPL, expressing interest in purchasing a stake in the 100, which obviously will go into a bit more detail in both the saliva front on the franchise ownership when we get our special guests on the show. Hey, Tom. Oh, I think, yeah, go, 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 Rui. What were you saying? Um, I was going to say, what's your thoughts around this uh, applicator that they're going to use on the ball? Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know how it's going to work. I like, um, do you, do, you, do you think it's a bit? I mean, like, obviously, one of the um, uh, players, obviously, they always go for players for comments coming out, and sort of like, I think it might have been Simon Dool, ex player, saying that it's more of a gimmick because Kookaburra balls always struggle to swing anyway, whereas your Dukes and your SGs have got swing in them anyway. Uh, yeah, ASGs don't swing. Maybe your three favorite fast bowlers in the world ever. <laughs> I don't, I doubt you're going to pick an Indian or um, <laughs> well, they're an Indian because they're the only ones that use SGs. It's G's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I what do you think, Roy? I don't know. It's, it seems a little bit unnatural in a way for cricket, too, isn't it? When, to, to use our external forces to, to to manipulate the ball. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. In the traditional you know. sense. I mean, when you grow up with the traditional the traditions of cricket and utilizing it. In saying that, it's just like you know, as we've mentioned over the last few weeks, it's, it's it is something that has happened. You know, it's under the radar. Whether it's been under the radar in the inside the pants or um, you know, Dennis mm -hmm. Lilly with the lanolin on the shirt, it's something that has happened. This is sort of bringing it in the open. It is. It is. I mean, it doesn't you know, make it as cool anymore, though. What's that? Sorry, it doesn't make it as cool anymore if everyone's no, doing it, it out in the open. No, when it's in the open, <laughs> why would you do it? Ah, oh, I'm going to yeah. put saliva on it just to be a bad boy. <laughs> well, I, I think that you know, growing up as a youngster when you're playing cricket and you got your whites on the Saturday, uh, it was quite fun to get the red patch on your in front of your. Oh, you, had you, home with, you had to go home with the red or the, down the down the front or on your buttocks. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so just, just wash now, if you just see a stain off. in the front of your trousers, though. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if this applicator is gonna do the the actual job you expect to see with the wear and tear on the ball and things, or is it actually just gonna keep the ball brand new for 60, 70 overs? It'll be really interesting to see how that how that pans out and how it works on the ball. Yeah, I mean, when when we get um, our guests on the show, we can kind of 
pose these questions because he's in that space. But I don't know if you guys remember, maybe 10 years ago, Canterbury came out with these shiny trousers. And they were basically yep, yep. designed for sliding on the turf, but also to buff up the ball. And I just wonder if somebody's just going to find something where they you'll literally have a shine patch where you can just buff the ball and on oh, the front you know? Yeah, or, or, or basically even what 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 about if it's like we're talking about maintaining the ball? What about if you um, prematurely degraded the ball? So you know we're talking about one side. So you got asbestos trousers that you know give that rough surface um, to 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 really scuff up one side. Maybe you could have the shiny side on one side of your pants and uh, uh, sandpaper on the other side of your pants. So, you know, wow. crikey! Next <laughs> thing you know, you're walking down the catwalk. <laughs> hey, if, this, if COVID came about two years ago, those three Australians wouldn't have been done. Well, they, it oh, could have been called innovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Been... It would have been legal. Yeah. Just, just, just um, one of the other items in the news there, just with the um, ECB and um, on a bit of information that I've sort of um, got over the last few days. So they they presented to a um, a sports and cultural um, committee for COVID for the British government. And with four other major sports trying to convince them of um, loosening up the strings, because they, and then basically going through well. And as we've talked about in our previous shows, it's not looking good for any cricket happening in the UK this year. And they're looking at playing outside. Well, if it doesn't, that's the three hundred eighty million dollar mm-hmm. loss, and that's the thirty million dollar loss for Lords and no cricket there, sort of thing. So it's it's just it's the um, it's a it's a total sort of no cricket type scenario there. And uh, the losses that would be uh, incurred. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Two hundred thirty-three years. Two, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like my, my son when we was just sitting on the couch before, and um, coincidentally, he asked me, "Oh, so what? What? What was? What was played first, cricket or rugby?" And this is like, yeah, most definitely cricket. It's just amazing yeah. to think how yeah. it's been going. If, it's, if that's true, the two hundred thirty-three years. Did they play cricket through the war? I'm surely there's no yes. cricket through the World War. No, no, that, that's what that basically the uh, article that I read. Um, that, that they even carried on there was cricket at Lords through the war years as well. So this will be the first time where there wasn't oh, any yeah, cricket of any like sort. Proper jazz man cricket, like just oh, oh, look, absolutely. Yeah. It would have been village, maybe a bit of village cricket or something like yeah, that yeah. happening. And nothing yeah. wrong with village cricket. Absolutely, no, absolutely wrong. not. Keep got got to keep the spirits up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. That's the backbone of cricket, village cricket. Yeah. England, village cricket, Sunday cricket, best part. If you've not experienced cricket in England, yeah, you haven't lived as a cricketer. Anyway, we'll better move on so that we can get through to our um, guest group. Well, one more little thing that we want to get through before we get to our guest, and um, that's something that we'd like uh, Rohit's like to do is in terms of one for the keepers. So I'll pass the roll over to Rohit or Roly as he was known on the play, on the playing field, and um, yeah, his tribute to Smithy. Yes, one for the keepers, being a former keeper myself. Uh, so my very own favourite player, one-off, Ian Smith, was uh, honoured uh, last week, I think it was now, uh, by New Zealand Cricket for his outstanding services to cricket. So he joins the other uh, members, Walter Hadley, Merv Wallace, John Reed, Graham Dowling, Richard Hadley and Ewan Chatfield. So Smithy's been um, honoured for outstanding services to cricket, and he's managed to call the last 112 test matches at home. So that's some quite outstanding record there in its own right, isn't it? And some memorable matches for him while he was um, commentating was Brendan McCallum's 300, 
The test wins at Lords. Ross Taylor's 290 in Hobart. Who could ever forget that? Uh, the draw at Eden Park against uh, England. Gosh, I was on the edge of my uh, seat most of that day watching that test. And Is that the What's that? Is that the 97 one? What uh, draw was this? That no, was, no, uh, no, that was, that was only a few years ago. Yeah, it was only a few years ago, and we had to get one wicket, didn't we? And, um, we had to get one wicket, and they were holding out. Yeah, basically, right. had the, uh, wicket. Right, right, right. <laughs> we needed one wicket for the win, and Matt Pryor batted the last Matt of the Pryor, and day. I think Monty was at the other end. Yeah. Oh, man, that was really frustrating as a spectator and sports fan there. You were praying on that one wicket, you know? Um but then, you know, I, don't, I hate to bring up Scars, but he also managed to call that uh, that final at Lords last year. And, um, you know, who could ever forget that? So Smithy, um, he played 63 tests for New Zealand in 98 ODIs between 1980 and 1992. And uh, one of his most memorable and my memorable things watching Smithy was his 173 runs off 136 balls to rescue New Zealand from the, you know, 131 for seven against India in Auckland at Eden Park. Now, I remember watching Smithy uh, at Eden Park uh, against uh, the Indians, or, and that was an amazing, amazing knock. I don't know if any of you other guys saw that. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I remember that knock um, because my favourite player, Richard Hadley, was at the other end for most. Uh, it was a um, partnership between Richard Hadley and Ian Smith that basically rescued um, New Zealand, I can't remember. I think Richard Hadley might have got 100 as well. Um, and Ian Smith carried on. Yeah, it was it was, um, it was one of those for the record books, that's for sure, that that knock. Because back in those days, who sort of had those sort of strike rates? Yeah, absolutely. No, no, that was a very unique strike rate for back in those days for a test match. Absolutely, absolutely. So Hadley, Hadley scored 87 in that game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's our little tribute from the keeper's corner uh, for our very own Ian Smith. And, and you got to say one of the one of the great middle names in um, world cricket as well, Stockley. Absolutely. Oh, Ian Stockley. Ian David Stockley Smith. Yes. Absolutely. Can't believe. <laughs> well, hey, thanks one. for that. Thanks for that little tribute to to Ian Smith and um, as you said, one, one for the keepers being your fellow keeper there as well, and your and your hero. From playing that, we all have our heroes. Taryn, who's your? You have one hero while you were growing up playing backyard cricket oh, before you up, got oh, your man. black shirt yourself. Oh, that was a long time between growing up and getting a black shirt. Did you have a favorite player? Uh, Azruddin, Mohammed yep. Azruddin. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was obviously from my uh, what. The same part of the world from there I'm from or my parents are from. Um, yeah, so that was a name that yeah, you just happen to support because yeah, he's from your state or city. Right. Yeah, so yep. you kind of can't emulate him. And he was very cool or so so we thought at the time anyway. And it's yeah. it's um it's it's interesting just to comment from the old um chat room there as well is that Ian Smith's favorite shot was the cut shot. I think back in the day every wicket keeper's favorite shot was the cut shot. Oh yeah, that's all that shot. is. <laughs> it's on leg stump, and they'd back off and play the cut shot. Yeah, the only <laughs> shot. <laughs> or, or uh, you know, otherwise it's the hook as well because you're you're short in stature. So, you know, 
you can just jump on the back and around the corner she goes. Well, that's 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 enough waffle from us guys because we've got someone on our show today that we've got as coming on as a guest and and it's, we're we're really honoured to have him to as our first guest on our uh, swinging from the hip show, um, one of our many guests hope that we hope to have in the future and bring to you, and that is. Tosif Sati, former professional cricketer from Pakistan, where he played domestic cricket, and he moved to New Zealand almost a decade ago and played domestic, played domestic cricket here, and also being, uh, I think, the professional for Northland. Uh, Tosif played professional cricket around the world, and his successful career as an administrator, as well as a apparel manufacturer, running his own cricket equipment company, Taz Cricket. Welcome to Swinging from the Hip. Tusif, or as everybody knows you, Tez. Yeah, thanks for inviting me over, guys. No worries, Hi, no worries. Yeah. And how are you doing? How's how's things going for you during this um, shutdown or lockdown period for you? Yeah, it's um, for work-wise, it's obviously a bit slow for the last few weeks. Uh, uh, this is the right time for England. So we do a lot of sales in England and um, like Europe in general for cricket. So I think, yeah, it's probably we have to wait for the preseason for Australia and New Zealand now. So, uh, but that's one of those things with the, everyone being affected by, you know, COVID-19. So uh, just 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 taking our time now. Oh, that's yeah, that's, it's, it's a difficult time for many, isn't it? And it's just like it's it's always it's a great time to look forward to seeing what the future is uh, planning for the future. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, let's let's get into the issues that we've got you on board for today. And we're going to dive right into it right from the start. Umar Akmal, let's get your view on what's happened there and how it's all panned out and um, give us your view of how that's actually rolled out. Yeah, I mean, it's like, obviously, we, we know that Umar has been in the news for wrong reasons. Like, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's not a secret. You can, you know. Yep. Um, but I think like he had a great start to his cricket career, if you remember, like, you know, when he face, first came to New Zealand in 2009, 2010, and uh, how much praise he got, especially from someone like uh, Martin Crowe, who wouldn't like go in that sort of uh, great extent to praise a player. And he, he thought that this is a player we'll be talking about for next, like, you know, 15 years. So, yeah, he had a great start. He uh, wasn't lying, I though. Think... He, he was right. He was on the money. Hey, eh? Martin Crowe was on the money. We did talk about Umar Rahman a lot, but just for the wrong reasons. You know, he, you know we've been talking about Umar Rahman constantly. Every second year, he's popping up in the media, in different leagues, all but, for the wrong like, reasons, unfortunately. You know, Taron, the funny thing is, like, first couple of series, he was the star test batsman for Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're two tough series, right? Like, in Australia, when Tony Gregg was commentating, he was, like, just praising him, like, you know, he, he just thought that's the next big thing. And funny enough, the next year, I was actually, um, I was looking after a Pakistan team for a tour league, like, you know, for a game. And he was actually not in the test playing 11, 12 months later. <laughs> oh. And between those 12 months, he had four captains. Right. And uh, so there was a lot happening behind the scenes. And like, you know, so first, when he started ODIs, um, I think um, Yunus Khan was the captain, just after the 2009 uh, T20 World Cup. And a month later, the players had a sort of, uh, whatever you can call it, there was some politics or whatever, and they took actually oath in the private room to, to sort of uh, make sure they vote out uh, Yunus Khan. So, and that's when Umar Akmal... Was Umar part that, of this as well? Umar wasn't part of this? No, he no, no. So he, he made his debut after they, I think, lost the series. Ah, okay. So, yeah, not yeah. in the series, but I think fourth game. 
Yeah. And uh, so that's how he got started. So obviously there were a lot of insecurities between the senior members. And yeah. uh, from there, like, you know, obviously, um, I think Afridi took over yeah. uh, for a shorter format and Muhammad Yusuf, or Yusuf Johanna, as we know him, uh, yeah. took over for the longer format. And then that, but that friction kind of stayed with Pakistan team until that, like, you know, uh, thing happened in England. Uh, we won't go into that, you know. Muhammad oh, <laughs> uh, Amir and these guys were done, get done for, like, you know, obviously spot fixing and stuff. But if you yeah. look at first first 16 months of Umar Akmal's international career, um, there was all these things happening behind the scenes. So I'm not too sure if there was much uh, grooming going on or if he was being sort of mentored at all. I mean, he was yeah. only 19, turning 20. So I think... It doesn't help when you have a start like that. Yeah. So yeah. I just I just jump in there and it's just like because you mentioned there about the mentoring or grooming sort of thing. Um, we'll, we'll use the word mentoring because grooming might imply something else. <laughs> <laughs> but so the, 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 in Pakistan, how does it work? Because globally we look at the fact that the players have a player manager or or, or somebody that's representing them. Uh, even like the players' associations or a players' union, how, how does that work? Does would Omar Akmal have a player manager? Do they have a players' union or association within the Pakistan framework? Well, I'm not like I was. I mean, I was involved in Pakistan cricket for a bit, but I was obviously I've been here for for a while now. But I've uh, been sort of talking to my friends who do play cricket over there and still play domestic cricket. Uh, I don't think there is a body who actually can protect the rights of players, uh, especially the domestic cricketers. Uh, underneath as well so it's almost like you just need to find uh, like a guru like you know <laughs> like Imran Khan had all these yeah. young kids who came through him but the thing was um, Imran Khan was secure he knew that like his place is not in question whereas yeah. uh, like you know when Umar Akmal came in like you know sort of Miss um, Balhag was made captain from nowhere you know uh, like mm -hmm. a year later for primarily to settle down the team um, so it was, um, I think, the overall, there was no mentoring, you know, and uh, unfortunately, there hasn't, I don't think there is still a, in a, sort of an organization who protects the rights of the cricketers or who would you, sort of. Ted, would you yeah. say that kind of creates like a doggy dog kind of mentality amongst mm. cricketers and it kind of just, do you think that's what it creates in terms of the culture within the, um, like the high performance group? Uh, it, it can. Well, I, I don't think that it, it will always do that because, like, if you see the time afterwards, right, straight after that thing happened, Pakistan team settled down, right? So yeah, we right. had uh, Ms. Balhak and then uh, Azhar Ali and the, the guys who have different personalities who were the yeah. senior players, and they kind yeah. of, like, completely changed the, like, the, I would say the Pakistan reputation improved during that time. Uh, there yeah. are no real issues in, like, you know, sort of... Uh, but, I mean, I guess what you're trying to say is like uh, not having that sort of organization obviously makes the things difficult. And I agree to that. Uh, mm. But on the other hand, like, you know, you just need uh, secure players. Like your senior players have to be secure. Like, you know, they, um, they should be automatic choice, you know. <laughs> Well, you've got, a, you've got a very difficult start for a youngster coming in. I mean, like, you know, we've seen the classic case of the, not, not saying Umar Akmal was, but, you know, the classic case of 16-year-olds being selected for Pakistan-type scenario, right? And it's like you've got no protection around them, and if you get the wrong influences coming in, then it can be quite detrimental to a young player, particularly in trying to impress 
everybody within the team and, and, and fit in because, you know, it's a, it's a daunting environment, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Actually, I was um, I was watching an interview of Said Ajmal, and that was his first year as well, like 2009, when he sort of got got on, on, you know, sort of got big. And he said, like, there was this these people are voting out the captain, and he felt like he had to be part of it because yeah. you know, you know, all the senior players are doing it, you know. And he kind mm-hmm. of um, he said, well, don't he he couldn't see himself not doing it because the senior players are asking him to do it. So I, I guess like. You know that that does is a thing. Is that a cultural thing? Then? Is that a cultural thing where you kind of respect the elders and you almost follow what the senior group's doing? As a youngster coming in, you respect, you know, your elders and the seniors in this case, and you just kind of follow through without yeah, I, really I, having a chance. Yeah, I think like if you if you remember that uh, Hansi Kronia saga as well. That it was uh, not for the money; it was more the Hansi Kronier was asking the, you know, the two young yeah. players, and you know. So I think respect is definitely in in, in our cultures, obviously in Pakistan, and India, it's probably even more. Mm. So it can, like, you know, you you have to choose your sort of leaders for countries like Pakistan or India, or like you have to choose your leaders. You know, like like mm. like Pakistan ended up doing with uh, Misbah, who was quite subtle and experienced and educated, and like you know all that sort of things. Um, if not, then obviously they can easily sort of pressurize the young players to do what they want them to do, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, oh, sorry, 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 Ashwin. Um, That's right, I, okay, uh, The question I had was, we all know, you know, it's quite well documented what the Western um, teams or domestic players in the Western countries, like, you know, your Australia's and New Zealand's and England's are in. Um, little was known about well, how much the other countries earn? So, domestic players, do they earn a good wage? Like, is are they self? Is it good enough for them not to have to dip into these? Because I'm trying to negate, you know, almost kind of take that point out. Going, is it because they don't get paid enough that they kind of fall into these honey traps or kind of even start looking elsewhere? Well, um, I guess, like you know, I mean, um, there, there are two two ways of looking at it, right? So that the money wise, obviously, Pakistan. Uh, doesn't have a like I was involved for a few years, but like we we're talking about last twenty years, right? They change yeah. and chop and change their domestic cricket structure so much that there's no consistency, right? So that's one thing. Uh, second thing is like they used to have departments who pay, you know, pay okay to the cricketers so they can survive. So, so there that's was department cricket, stuff, right? yeah, yeah. So there's department cricket and then there was regional cricket. So they both run parallelly most of the times and sometimes they play together. So the department cricket players were getting paid okay and it has improved over the years. Um, regional cricket, when I was I was there, we were getting paid, I think it's equal to about $5 a day or something, you know, so it's nothing. You know? yeah. You're almost like, you know, sort of, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't much anyways. Um, but it has it did improve at a certain time. When they were getting yeah. like something equivalent to two hundred or three hundred dollars a game, a four-day game, which was good for Pakistan. But what have they, they've done last couple of years is like they've actually Imran Khan has actually sort of uh, all the department cricket is being sort of ceased. So there's no more department cricket. So a lot of professional cricketers who are domestic cricketers lost their earning earnings right for the last oh, few yeah. months, and that's a big yeah. big thing in Pakistan, and uh, that probably. Uh, kind of answers your question that obviously there's a lot of insecurity right now uh, yeah. for the players who are not playing um, international cricket. But PSL, yeah, definitely there's some money coming in, but that's really small pool of players. You, you're still talking about like, you know, maybe another hundred players who lost their living and sort of don't know what to do. Yeah. So what, what, where does that, 
leave them then? Where does the changes? Where do the changes leave these players? So what they've done is like they have uh, done the domestic cricket, like um, I think sixteen competition, but they've done first and second eleven for all the regions. Right. Okay. So there are okay. still twelve domestic teams technically, six first teams and six second teams, and all these guys are getting paid. So yeah. th- there is sort of some sort of, but it's an annual contract anyways, you know. With the department, yeah. some of the guys were just employed for ages, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically a takeaway from the New Zealand, or not New Zealand, that's that's not necessarily true. More like an Australian and English county model, which obviously Imran Khan played in Australia. I'm guessing he played in England. So he, he was he was quite favourable to these kind of models. Though. He's a, I know I've read a lot where he's talked about Pakistan having too many first-class teams and wanting to go down this road for a long time. But I think, like, if you look at India, I mean, India's got similar, like, they've got heaps of first-class teams. 30 odd yeah. yeah, so I, I don't think that matters. What Imran Khan was saying was um, to get more people involved in cricket. Like, say, for example, if Auckland is playing, you will support Auckland, right? But if yeah. New Zealand is playing, you know, you won't care, you know? Yeah. So there were like a lot of domestic games. Not, not where, right like, now. Not in our household. But what I'm saying is like there were a lot of banks who have their teams and different departments they have teams which we had really strong teams. Once we played against a, a, a like a, a light bank was a team and they had eleven well ten international players. So they had strong teams, but still people wow. didn't come down to watch because um, it wasn't like it was a department no one can relate to, you know. So mm. I could see where he was coming from, but he had to do it slowly. Eh? He just did it in one year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was no transition. Eh? It's like yeah. moving from lockdown straight back to normal life. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tez, while well, staying on the corruption front, staying on the Pakistani front, I uh, recently read that uh, Salim Malik is now wanting to, I don't know, give back to Pakistani cricket or return back to the fray in some capacity. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, it's um, um it's it's a difficult one eh? because he actually he got done. Um, there was a Justice Kayum report in 1998 which came out, and after that he was done for. Obviously, uh, he shouldn't be taking part in cricket at all. But at the really? same time, uh, at the same it was for his life, and at the same time they said Wazim Akram shouldn't hold a prominent position in, in, in leadership position in Pakistan cricket at all. Mm. And uh, Wazim Akram was fined as well. So yeah. I guess, um, and then he appealed it because it was one one person, like sort of uh, jury, right? You know, it was one yes. person. So yep. he, um, I think he won the case in 2008. So he's a free man technically since then. And mm. he hasn't been involved in obviously, and that's that's what he did. I mean, he made his international debut when he was 19, I think. So yeah. pretty much all his adult life, he's done cricket. And then obviously this thing happened. So I think last 20 years, I don't know how he's surviving, but it must be harder. <laughs> um, so he wouldn't have had any connection. So basically he would have been like the Louis Vincent of Pakistan where he would have been cut away from <laughs> pretty all much, the pretty much, yeah. And... He, wasn't, he wasn't seen anywhere around any of the big events. Like he might have been yeah, behind the scenes. Stay away. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump in there. Academy. Yeah, go on, just, go on. Just, just going to jump in there and wind it back a little bit. So, and, and it sort of relates to this whole Salim Malik and Wazim Akram bit as well in terms of, so Umar Akmal, is my, my understanding, sort of like, so he, with the latest incident where he's been suspended, I think it's, it's two years. Uh, three years. Three years, sorry. And yeah. um, he represented himself. How does that come about? I mean, why, I mean, what's the pro- judicial process? I mean, like obviously with, um, you know, a New Zealand, England, 
Australia, South Africa type view. We we know what the judicial process is and how some nobody's going to go to any of the say a court proceeding in any of those countries and represent themselves. They're going to take representation. What would make Umar Akmal think that he could go and represent himself in a in a situation like that? Or yeah, I think there, there are two sides to it. So, like, a lot of things are done internal. So there's like like there's an internal inquiry and internal sort of judiciary, like within PCB. Uh, I don't know. I'm just taking you back to the '90s. I don't know if you remember where Salim Alik Saga started. Was uh, John the bookmaker? He was right. an Indian yes, bookmaker in Sri Lanka, right? So yeah. uh, it was 1994, right? And uh, they got obviously uh, Mark Waugh and Shane Warne were involved. That was yeah. September 1994. Coincidentally, in October 1994, Salim Ali contacted these two guys. So, um, just, just going to, yeah, yeah, same two guys, right? Because it's just the, it's information, though, wasn't it? It was. I, I, I don't know. It could be a coincidence, but what I'm saying is the sequence of the things is quite, you know. So, yeah. uh, just, just answering your question, Ashwin. So, what happened there was uh, Cricket Australia did an inquiry behind the closed doors. Yes. And they fined, I think, them for 10 grand or 5 grand each, and that was it. It only came out in 1998 when a newspaper reporter uncovered it, and then they had to go public about it, right? right and yep. that is when uh, sort of um, there was a pro proper judiciary, and they they said, well, well, again, they said they these two shouldn't be involved in any leadership, you know, and they're sort of they should have been sort of uh, fined for a bit more and X Y Z and X Y Z. So there was an internal inquiry within uh, Cricket Australia who fined the player. So I think with with Umar Akmal, he wasn't um, he had issues with cricket board a couple of months before this thing happened. Yes, for or for something else. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it just piled up, and he he just probably felt like you know he just uh, you know he won't get uh, any mercy. You know, so he just well, no, not, he won't get a fair hearing. So what's the yeah, point? Yeah, trying? I think that's what he his interviews. That's what it appeared. Is that yep. a coincidence that he has a fallout with the board and suddenly he's been summoned? Well, it's an interesting one, eh? If you know Shakib Al-Hassan from Yeah, I was uh, just about Bangladesh. to say, Shakib stands yeah. up for a players' union. Next thing you know, he's been called in. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I mean, it, Umar Akmal, if, if you guys know what happened with him, it, it was like he failed to uh, report an approach yep. early enough. So he did actually tell them. But yeah. because he was already having issues with them beforehand, so I feel like, you know, that probably caused the delay. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I, mm. I, I think that that might have caused the delay. And then, yeah. obviously, they managed to sort of uh, put all those sanctions in. So, I mean, same with Sakib Hassan as well. As soon as um, he did, he was the leader of that, not gang, but like he, he was the leader of the group, you know, uh, who yeah. were sort of uh, going for player rights against Bangladesh uh, Cricket Board. And next yep. thing... He's done for exactly the same thing, you know. So uh, I don't know if it's a patron, but probably answers I, my question from before about player association or player unions, isn't it? You're 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 damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. We're well, more damned if you do, um, type scenario. If you do go and try and create a players association, because it's usually player driven. Especially yeah. if you've got a bit of oil on you. If they've got some oil on you, you don't want yep. to start a players association. Not there. No, you're going to have to be whiter than white. Excuse the pun or the saying. Hey, look, I mean, just, just, I mean, just to grab a, a question out of the. I like this question out of the um, uh, chat room because it's a, it's a question that I've often wondered about too. I think and we it's, all have. Is it? Yeah. Is it? A, 
where does Pakistan get all its fast bowling talent from? Now, before you answer that question, you know, we've seen from India that recently they've finally got some fast bowling stocks. But for years, India couldn't develop any fast bowling. It was very, you know, limited fast bowling with the caliber that Pakistan has been able to do. How does Pakistan do it? Oh, look, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer it, but I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, I guess like the most started off in this group to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, I don't know if you if if you know like the historically Pakistan Imran Khan was probably the first genuinely quick bowler Pakistan has produced. There might be okay. others, but in the like historically, no one no name comes up as quick. They were good, but like Fazal Mahmood, they were great bowlers, but no one was genuinely quick like Imran Khan. Imran Khan, and I think you probably you probably sometimes you you need role models. Mm -hmm. And uh, with Imran Khan, his persona and everything, people just wanted to be like him. If you see Wazim Akram's first uh, series, it's here and everything was like Imran Khan, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was, I was born in 1980 and Imran Khan was, I mean, he was a, you know, world-class player by then. Yep. Uh, I think seven out of 40 in my class were Imran's. So, <laughs> so can we to mom and dad? Why am I, why am I not Imran? <laughs> so um, coming back to your question, yes, yeah. So I think uh, Imran Khan was uh, huge in getting some uh, cricket in, uh, fastballers in. But most importantly, in mid '80s, uh, we had this tape ball cricket started, and tape ball cricket become quite big. Um, you were supposed to have a short um, like run up and you try to generate more pace. And that kind of, uh, because it's easy to play six overs, eight overs, and you can play it for one hour and then you go home. So I think that really developed a lot more sort of, um, I think quick arm actions and strange actions and loading was better because of a very limited sort of run up and you have to bowl quick. So I think table sort of uh, really revolutionized between mid eighties to mid nineties. And during that time, heaps of fast bowlers start coming up. Yeah. I mean, and, and you look at you, what you're talking about with the short run-up, you know, and short run-up fast bowling. Um, Wazim Akram, um, you know, mm. he, he had a short run-up, but fired it in pretty quick, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. That, and then obviously... Is that the biomechanical aspect where you have a short run-up so you can't generate, so you've got to create that fast arm speed? If you take back, straight back to Junaid, our teammate... Yeah. Uh, our teammate used the it's like you see him ambling and ambling and ambling and, and it just happens quickly is that a lot yeah. of table stuff i i don't know i mean it, it can be it's more like with table it's cutthroat cricket like it's very competitive and yeah. uh, a lot of money involved even at like lower level at, like you know and so i mean what happens there is like uh, people are trying to sort of um I mean, there's no batsman is not scared, right? Because there's not wearing any pads. You're just bowling a tennis ball, so you have to bowl quick and quicker to deceive the batsman. And I think, or you have to be deceptive, you know, change of pace or whatever, and you learn all those tricks. And yeah. I guess, like, to survive in tape ball cricket, you have to be street smart and a bit quicker as well, like you know, sort of yeah. quick, deceptively quick. So I mean, if you see a lot of bowlers coming through now in Pakistan cricket. Uh, generally coming from table cricket. So I assume that's one of the contributors. Well, you've got that bloke from uh, Big Bash that played yes, yeah. came out of nowhere. Straight out oh, of table. Yeah, yeah. For Melbourne Stars? Yep. Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, and he did really well too. Very yeah. successful last year. Hey, we're going to have to... Sorry, sorry, go, go Taz. 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at the run-ups and stuff, so these guys, I mean, like, don't have, the table ballers usually don't have great run-ups. Like, you know, they just, you know, but they're loading and their finish is so strong that they can still get around 145, 150k. So that's, that's amazing. So we got asked the question. We got we got asked this question. Did you, while you were growing up in Pakistan, have Imran Khan here? <laughs> Pardon? No, 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 I was too young. <laughs> Actually, I did get some coaching lessons from him, though. Couple. Yep. <laughs> oh, <spin. laughs> no, no, no. Leaks, I was a league spinner back then, so. Oh. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask also. I'm just gonna go with Dr. Babaji's um because he's got a great handle um there. In terms of, I don't really understand what he's asking, but you might this might mean something to you. Do you think players' unions will put an end to the hegemony of sports boards establishment? If you well, understand I mean, what that means. Yeah, I mean it's. I think um, the like obviously the cricket board and the players both are important for each other, right? The thing is, so far in Pakistan cricket in general, the cricket board has the upper hand. Whoever they want to, like, say, for example, they had issues with a lot of, like, big names. Like, you know, I mean, like, um, I won't name it, but they had a lot of issues with big names in, over the years. <laughs> and uh, which means that, obviously, if there is a players association, it balances it out, mm. you know? So yep. it, it definitely is need of the hour so that the guys can sort of, uh, obviously, feel a bit more secure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we're very fortunate here. Like, we've got a very strong and well-run players association, and we've got a very strong head who's very fair. Like, Heat Mills does an amazing job for the local players, our domestic players especially. And they, we are very fortunate. And, yeah, and Australia Darren obviously question. have a good body as well. Darren, question for you, though. Would you say that what makes him great is he's actually pragmatic about the scenario, the situation of cricket in New Zealand and the fact that he's not headstrong in terms of I'm a traditional union in terms of it's all about my boys and my players, no, but he no, actually no, does no, understand no. the environment that you're working in and so he's pragmatic about working with NZC yeah. to make sure, yes, you've got to look after your players, but there's no point looking after your players if you're putting that at the detriment of the game. Would you say yeah. that's fair comment? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I suppose these, the board is also very transparent. They share the numbers, they know the numbers, and they negotiate how much um, the player uh, distribution, etc. So yeah. once they've agreed, locked in on those terms, then it's a case of making sure the players get their due share. So they right. do work really work well together, as opposed to going take, 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 or give, 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 or putting the hand out. Yeah. Right. Well, moving on to, before we move on to anything else out of the old chat room, you got. Um, well, I'll come to Mr. Kachopa there in a second, but uh, <laughs> any other th any other things we want to sort of like in terms of global cricket or the the, the subcontinent cricket, we want to sort of um, run past Taz? Yes. Well, I want to talk about this ball um, wax applicator. Taz, mm. obviously, we talked about fast bowlers. We know Pakistan Pakistani bowlers can produce reverse swing better than anyone else in the world. What's this going to mean? Well, um, I don't know. I mean, um, the big pause. He's stuck. There's no internet. He's, over frozen. The He's frozen, is he? He's frozen. 
There's no internet over the shore, man. You guys need to move on this side of the bridge, the real side. Oh, <laughs> get the passport out too. We're waiting to see whether we get Taz back in the in there. Um, we'll we'll go with the... Tell us how to actually get the board to reverse. So it's, it's a secret. It's a secret. It's a secret. Doesn't want to give um, Pakistan successful it's edge away. Secret, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll go with Mr. Kachopa. When are you coming out of retirement, Mr. Nathula? Great Kachopa. You yeah. are far too young to retire. What are you doing retiring? You gold digger <laughs> chasing big bucks elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. For those of you who don't know, Craig Kachopa, um, the white ball captain for the Auckland Aces for the last few years, yes. is uh, all time on his career. One of three brothers. Now that you're actually on here, I may as well just embarrass you. One <laughs> of three brothers. The most naturally talented, gifted of the brothers. The biggest and the strongest of the brothers. I'll keep it that way. And the only brother to have actually played county cricket. Good to see you, bro. You're obviously very bored in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same day when you retired, I have to say, for Auckland cricket, though, wasn't it? Absolutely. He's been the legend that he is, you know, with his um, representation he's, there as well. He's probably got a red wine in his hand, too, while he's putting these notes in. <laughs> Well, what we what we got what what we see again, what we see if we can get Taz back on the line there. Um, yeah. Going back right back to the top of the show, um, I think it was Simon uh, Simon Hughes that asked the question around. Oh, we've got Taz back, but um, I'll just ask this question anyway while Taz sort of gets himself settled back in again, and and he and he can join in on this one as well. Obviously, in the news this week, we've had Brendan McCullum um, talking about New Zealanders getting involved in the Big Bash, whether it's more player involvement or actually a couple of teams or one team um, coming across or going across to the Tasman. What do you, what do we what do we think about um, New Zealand getting involved or greater involvement in the Big Bash? Take right, it away. I'll start on this. I'll start on this. Go okay, start on the chair. Listening. Few years ago, uh, when I was involved with the the Auckland setup, few of the boys sat down. We kind of, as you do in four day cricket, when you've got the batters doing all the time. day, the bowlers sit there and do all the planning um, and talk rubbish and scheme like pie in the sky stuff. Wouldn't it be better, instead of having one team, to have a quota of an allotment of 15 players or whatever? Um, currently, the status quo is nine players, oh, two overseas, and the rest are Australian, right? In the Big Bash. In the IPL, it's seven Indians and four overseas. Can we not get to a situation where we have um, two overseas, X amount of New Zealanders, and the rest are Australians? So you could potentially see maybe two or three in a separate category of New Zealand players that get purchased by every franchise. Now, sorry, just to clarify, are you talking like more of a um, um, baseball America type style where you've got a massive roster and you've got slots within that roster and then you pick and choose obviously on the player on the day of the game you can pick x amount of players from each grouping basically what you're saying category yeah right you could potentially have nine new zealanders on your books based on the availability you can only have any two on the play in the playing league playing 11 yeah and then you can have two internationals and seven australians per se Here's what you bigger wage, bigger wage bill? Probably more attractive. Probably the competition doesn't need to dilute as much because they've gone from six states to having 18. Having high-end New Zealand cricketers, domestic cricketers, or the top of the cream of the crop, not necessarily black caps, but 
the cream of the crop, like the Craig Pachopas and um, uh, Errol Mitchells, you know, those kind of guys. If they're playing there, I'm sure they'd do really well. Like Todd Astor would go really well on those grounds. Yep. He's only showed that New Zealand spinners are very good by taking a six for three or four years ago over there. Yeah, he did very well. Tess, what you what's your opinion on the old um, New Zealand players or even Taryn's model in the old Big Bash? You would have <laughs> heard the news good... from Big Brendan in the last few days. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. But the counter-argument is, like, obviously the season uh, clashes. So um, New Zealand, obviously, domestic cricket is exactly the same time. And the premium time is obviously December, January, where you get more crowd in. And that's Eyes when the game. Big Bash is on as well. So if Big Bash is run, like, say, on a certain day, like a weekend or every weekend, that's a different different thing. But if they're running together, I think that would affect New Zealand's um, sort of um, domestic cricket in a way. Um, but, I mean, the counter-argument is, like, your player will develop more if they, obviously, your better players play against, uh, you know, bigger teams on bigger, bigger teams as well. Yeah. I'll, I'll, piggyback on, I'll piggyback on top of Kaz's um, comments there because I know that, um, Brendan McCullum came out with this, and and behind the scenes, although as as I've mentioned in the morning sports briefings, David White's been a bit tight-lipped about it. But I believe they're sort of like their view is that the cricket season will kick off as per normal in October, possibly without crowds, but possibly without international tours. Now, if that happens, what they were, um, what it looks like they're thinking about is having super teams, where they're almost like a north-south type competition. If they if they are looking at that. And Brendan's talking about New Zealand players going to play in the Big Bash. That's going to dilute those super teams, the North-South teams, and having that big sort of uh, clash element because now all of a sudden your top players are um, back over the ditch and playing in Australia. I mean, our domestic competitions don't really see the international big boys anyway because when they, when they do come back, they're resting or they're getting coming back from injury. But this year would have been an opportunity, right, because they international cricket is very iffy. And there's the yeah. high possibility that they'll be playing domestic cricket. I'll tell you, I'll throw something again. You've heard it here first. Tri Nations, Tri Nations, New Zealand, Australia, PNG. PNG are 15th in the world. They're not bad. Right. Yep. You yeah. could have a Tri Nations with them. Or do you remember back maybe late 90s? Does you remember this? Australia used to have an Australia A in the yes. Yes. series or whatever they used to have back then, the Commonwealth Bank series. Yep. Australia A will be strong, PNG, New Zealand, and an Australia quad quad series. You, you could you could almost say um, just as opposed to an Australia A, they could just select two maybe a, a West Coast team and an East Coast team, and so that be, yeah. be Western Australia. That's it. Well, no, you could just just lump Adelaide. You know, South Australia, um, sort of into the Western <laughs> Australia, so line down, line down, just to the um, left hand side of Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is, like, if the crowds are not allowed to watch them on the stadium at the stadiums, right? So the main uh, thing is coming from the TV or like television rights and stuff. So I guess like um, it has to be obviously televised in India or like subcontinent to get some money out of it. So it won't yeah. be a bad, bad idea to somehow sneak in one or two players from that region, like you know, so that you can actually get. Because you have to get enough players from certain areas where a lot more people watch. Because New Zealand is, you know, obviously just under 5 million. So it's not going to benefit Australia a lot, you know, mm. getting yep. New Zealand players. But if they get a, someone like, you know, a player like even Yuvraj Singh, who is almost retired or, you know, at the 
other end of his career but that would still bring a lot of people from india to watch it like online or on on tv yes the reality is that i think we talked about before we went to air i think it was the discussion or was it well in the beginning is that 14 days as a quarantine period isn't actually that long um for a sports person because usually they gotta come into a country and they acclimatize they have a few warm-up games or something like that or you know that they can sit out um so they've got training and the like so you can actually get a couple you know if you're not getting mass going along you gotta get government approvals on that but it could happen yeah oh but that's going back to the old days though then teams arrive pretty much two three months in advance for the ashes and play a whole bunch of um domestic Karen, teams. Karen, Karen, don't cut me deep man that, that's a sore point there's a sore point around a few of us after oh, last recent, year's tour of Australia. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about turning the tables what about australians coming to play in our domestically we we did have a few of the sort of almost retired players a few years ago that seems to have gone by the wayside we probably can't afford them <laughs> or what we paid to be honest but um, that's why we got to as how much you know are you talking about those players need to be um if they come out of the subcontinent or highly populated cricket um uh, market there's that marketable marketing factor to it so how much of that plays a part in the uh, big bash picks because obviously pakistanis and afghan players are not necessarily draw cards the crowds but obviously they bring them in a lot of teams are bringing them in yeah how much is that a marketing tool so i think from from brand perspective like big bash has grown bigger because it's uh, i i know they're not not any indian players playing but like they've got players from even bangladesh and sikibul hasan played so even one player playing in that league will what will make whole country watch the games you know and oh, look, i mean uh, and um actually my mind's gone blank but the afghani player this the league spinner from afghanistan oh, yeah superstar rashid khan yeah. yep and yeah. they had four four players from afghanistan playing this year and they had zahir khan right they had uh, legs left arm spinner who was with queensland they had mujib rahman yeah and they had mohammed nabi and rashid khan rashid yeah. khan four players yeah the four guys that hold up that team yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they're a cricket, cricket mad country so i mean they all would be yeah. watching big bash you know See, i say oh, staying with that marketing uh, front you've got in the media you've got Multan Sultan yeah. and Kolkata Knight Riders CEO which is uh Benki Mysore both expressing interest in the 100 hmm. right so obviously ECB's forecasting 380 odd mil in losses potentially losses, yeah. pushed back um initially they wanted all control off um their teams that's uh, the 100 format but now these teams are expressing an interest KKR to give you a bit of background on Trinity Trinibago Knight Riders um so they bring a wealth of knowledge in terms of marketing side so how do you think that will play when it goes to 100 do you think that's a good thing the way it should it should be franchised out more yeah i mean it, it depends like because some boards are quite sort of even like indian boards and all the boards are quite sort of um, sort of they're reserved about all these things like if you say like say australia how they run how they run their big bash you know they're quite yeah. controlled centrally controlled and yeah. uh, i mean ideally if it is not centrally controlled and independently run franchises like 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 you do in soccer right and football yeah. like you know the english premier league so you know the clubs are they they run at their own 
So if something like that happens, if they open up to get like uh, owners from outside, so for for example, Kolkata Knight Riders and um, like Multan Sultan Ali Tarin, I think if he owns one of the yeah. franchise, and so I guess like um, that changes a lot of things as well because it's not just the owners because they would like to have their own coaches and their own setup, you know. Yeah. And that kind of links the leagues, and then eventually, like like you you know that like you know some of the coaches um, who coach a certain franchise in a certain country. They kind of yeah. take their same players. They try to take the same players, the same group of players everywhere. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That something will happen. Well, you yeah. see, well, it was funny you say that because um, obviously Gail had a falling out with Jamaica. Guess where Jay Gail's gone to? St. Lucia Zoots, right? Yep. Who owns St. Lucia Zoots? Any guesses? <laughs> Kings Eleven Punjab. Oh, okay. Who Gail plays for in the IPL? So now he's becoming a he's becoming a company player. No, Brendan McCallum was Brendan McCallum, Colin Monroe, both play. Kind of oh no, but, but there, there could be there could be a logical progression though, couldn't it? In terms of like, hey, come and play for my teams around these competitions. Yeah. 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 Oh, and I think it's it's slowly becoming circus is the wrong thing. More like the sevens, you know. It's the same kind Even of franchise. circuit, a circuit, not a circus, but yeah. a circuit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll just go from country to country, the same kind of coaches and same kind of um, model and leadership styles just go from... And that could probably make the teams more successful because yeah. they they have more consistency. But I see yeah. that yeah. Yeah. Thing, see, look, when they're playing in Trini during that um, CPL time, every restaurant, every single person is wearing that TKR branding. And that's the kind of expertise these guys are probably likely to bring that cricket boards don't have the knowledge or the know-how to do it or the financial capacity. So basically what you're saying is that like you take the Super Smash and what they've done with the Big Bash is Big Bash doesn't relate to the state teams because, I mean, obviously you've got within Australia, uh, sorry, with New South Wales Victoria, um, and Victoria, you've got two teams. So New Zealand cricket should invite some of these Indian owners to come along and own a Super Smash team. We'd have to play at 10 p.m. though for it to be a viewable time there. So we just can't play at Eden Park. That's all that means. Oh, <laughs> imagine playing at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, I've seen a couple of first-class players tune in, and I'm sure if you add another zero next to their paycheck, they'll happily start at midnight as well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, imagine um, the conditions at that time. <laughs> The dew on the ball. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be putting a few scrums hey, down. Oh, there's a few that's <laughs> coming out, so I'm sure they can dry the ball. Well, yeah. Kookaburra is going to have to come out with a strip that dry keeps the ball dry. Yeah. Taz, let's get on to it with the Taz. Oh, good. Yeah, as, look, as, yeah, you wouldn't need spit on the ball, would you, if you play at that yep. time you have all that dew? No. <laughs> hey, look, it's it's been um, – we're coming up to the hour now so for our show, and it's just like – it's been an awesome conversation. Taz, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show today. Um, the conversation's been fantastic. It's been really um, – in the chat rooms, we've got some good feedback on it. Um, it's been great to have Aces representing in the chat room, Craig Kachopa and Matt Quinn there too. So, hey, guys, thanks for tuning in and, and commenting as well. So, um, again, everybody, thanks for tuning in. It's been a pleasure bringing you the show to you. Make sure that you share this with your friends if you've enjoyed it. Well, you know you've enjoyed it. So share it, like it, spread the word, 
you can listen to this on podcast, all the podcast platforms. We're on iHeartRadio to download to your devices so that you can listen to it again when you're walking around. So, yeah, look, again, thank you very much for tuning in. And again, to Taz, thanks for um, being part of the show today. And we'll thank see you. you again next week, 8 p.m. Thursday, for Swinging for the, from the Hip. Thanks, guys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.